Welcome to you. We're just starting a brand new series, and the series really is designed to help you flourish in the family that you're in. And um, we're kicking off this series this morning. We actually had a parenting conference, if you were with us last weekend, and we had Dan Westford come and share a really good word to us. And this morning really is to help you, and this series is to help you gain great confidence in the Lord, and uh, a confidence that helps propel you to have a place in your family of influence, an influence that God would have you to have. And um, this word, even as we jump into this series on family, is loaded, isn't it? Just a little bit. We say family, some of you have had just, you know, you have immediate warm and great feelings about how your family has been so good and nurturing and perfect. And um, some of us have ambivalence when we heard the word family. We've had some good moments and some moments of hardship and struggle and pain. And some of us, um, when we hear the word family, it's just hard. It's just it's just a struggle because all the dysfunction that's been there and the wounding and scarring that you've had. And so I want to put your mind, your heart at ease. We are a church family that has people in all kinds of different places, right? We have people that are great-grandparents that have these huge extended families, you know, with all these kids and grandkids running around and great-grandkids. And we have um, singles, people who have a different place that God has blessed and honored, and they have a place of influence, but they've come here to the Bay Area working, perhaps, or school has brought them here, and... Um, and they have a role in their family. We have uh, parents that have multiple kids, um, perhaps single parents. We have people, couples who have not been able to have kids. You, many of you know the story that Sue and I have of years of infertility. And by the way, anytime um, these series that we step into um, on the family, some of you will, um, will wrestle perhaps, and I just wanted to tell this brief story because it helped several people in the first service identify. So um, Sue and I were at this church that we love dearly, and uh, this pastor whom we really appreciate, and he decided to have a f- series on the family. It was 14 weeks long, and we were in the throes of going through infertility, not able to have our own children. And basically, the family series was all about how to raise your children. And by like the second or third week, Sue turns to me and she said, I don't think we can go to church anymore. So um, I hear it. I just want you to know this. This is not a series that will um, isolate you, but hopefully speak blessing and encouragement into your life and affirmation of how God has shaped you in the current stage of this season of your life that you're in. Because all of us have family relationships, and a place that God has for us in his family and the family, immediate family he's, he's stuck us in for better or for worse. There are people that God has next to us and he has us there for a good plan. And it's really helpful for us to understand how we can be an influence because God has called us to be people of influence, which makes us ask the question, what kind of influence should I have on these people that God has placed in my life? Can I grow in my ability to nurture a healthy family wherever God might have us and have me currently? And can I, as um, Dan Webster challenged us last week in the, 
and both in the conference and on Sunday morning, can I connect my family's heart to the heart of God? And that really is the core of where this series is going. How can you do that? How can you be a person that connects hearts, your family's heart to the heart of God? And this morning, we're going to think about one of the foundational building blocks of family. You can't really have an influence unless you're able to clearly articulate, answer this for yourself and for the people around you, and it's the question of our identity. Or the foundational question behind that, who am I? Now, when um, Sue and I were raising our our kids, our boys, um, both of them, we were blessed to adopt at birth. We, um, We took them through this book, Are You My Mother? Are you familiar with this great classic of American literature, Are You My Mother? Which is a great story about identity, of course. But it doesn't really get at like the, the true core of who we are. So this morning as we tackle this, I, I just want to say that, that we're living in a time and in a culture of mass confusion about this issue of identity. And um, the, the confusion that people have, not being able to understand clearly who they are and who they're called to be, and placing that, um, the sense of identity, in the wrong place has created such scarring and wounding and dysfunction and hurt. Addictions, depression, just a a lifetime of question and wounding because people aren't able to answer this question clearly. It's tragic. And I don't want anyone here to walk out this morning with any question of who you are and who, who you're called to be. So who are you? Ralph Ellison, in his seminal book, Invisible Man, says, When I discover who I am, I'll be free. I think he's onto something really strong there, that knowing who I am, it leads me to freedom. Freedom to live my life with a confidence that I know exactly who I am. And I know who has designed me to be who I am. That freedom is a huge asset, not just to me, but to the people in my life that I'm closest to. And helping other people understand their identity, that's priceless. It's priceless to hand that gift off to the people in my family and the people that I influence. Last year, approximately 15 million people had their identity stolen. And as a product of that, uh, over $50 billion was lost, stolen. But what we're talking about this morning is a far more costly theft. The evil one, Satan himself, has an agenda for you, and his agenda is to rob you of the knowledge in your soul of who you are. And when he does that, he can steer your life sideways. He can rob you of purpose and meaning and direction. And so this morning, I think it's really essential for us to know and for you to be able to answer that question, who am I, with confidence. So to do this, I want to dispel some myths that are out there and places where people have mistakenly identified themselves. And the first, let me start here with myth number one, that I am defined by myself. And I want to answer that by saying that I'm not defined by myself. And I know that might sound strange, and it might sound completely non-PC, But you will not find the identity question answered, the who am I question answered by navel-gazing, 
by, by looking deep within yourself and all of a sudden coming to this great epiphany of who you truly are. See, the Bible warns us that we are prone to self-deception, to mistaking who we are and getting it wrong and ignoring the death of our sin and our sin-bent nature. Ephesians 5, 5 and 1 John 1, 8 speak to this. That's not the place. And here's a second myth that I'm defined by my achievements or failures. And let me say this. I, I am not defined by my achievements or my failures. I grew up with a sister, one sister, and my dad will attest to this. that My, my sister was a straight-A student, and she worked really hard right, to get straight A's. And I always felt like, I can never do that. How can I, how can I like, measure up to the achievement bar that my sister is always setting really high? How, how does that possibly work? I was on the phone to her this week. It was her birthday. By the way, she's far older than I am. If she's listening to this message, I just want her to appreciate that affirmation. And, um, and um, she's two and a half years older than I am, so not that much older. And uh, she's having a birthday, and uh, so I called her, and we're talking. And she relayed the story to me that when we were young, she was working on her uh, her multiplication tables with my parents, and she was, you know, she was frustrated with working at it, and I'm a little kid, and for some reason, it came really easy to me, and I had it, like, instantaneously, and she just, like, she was, she always carried, she's still carrying that with her today, by the way, <laughs> like, thinking, my little brother, I can't measure up to his achievements. You have people in your life like this, I have people in my life like this who achieve far greater than us in one area or another. Maybe you feel like every area of your life and, and you have placed your identity in that sense of achievement or failure. Maybe you have a series of failures you've been carrying in your life and you've identified, you've allowed the world or other people to identify you by this. It's how family members have measured you by your achievements or your failures, and it's how the school system measures. Uh, you know, our, our high schoolers just went through a series of finals, and maybe if you're a high schooler today, you've measured yourself by what just happened in your tests. Or at work, you're at work, and a boss says to you that you haven't measured up. Or perhaps you have, and you're measuring yourself by your achievements at work. Those places of finding our identity and our achievements, they give us false messages. They're not of the Lord. There's this wonderful story in 1 Samuel chapter 16 where Israel needs to find a new king and God's going to identify them. And Samuel goes to the family of David. Are you familiar with the story, some of you? And uh, the, the firstborn son comes and he just looks, by all means, looks like the guy, like this is king material. And as the story unfolds, we discover he's not the guy. He's not the guy because God looks very differently at people. And we're told in the story that, that God doesn't look at the exterior. He looks at the heart. That's, that's how God looks at us. He identifies us in a very different way. Here's a third myth. I'm not defined by my strengths or weaknesses. The, the culture around me says that it's my strengths, the things that I do great, or it's my weaknesses, the things that I fail at, that identifies me. And that's a, the great lie of our appearance-saturated culture that identifies us, that values us, 
on our personal strengths. But God doesn't do that. He flips it on its head. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if, if you have a Bible and there's some provider around you or if you flip it open here on your phone or iPad, um, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 31, I just want you to hear God's word into you and this particular myth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, that, that, like are the very least in appearance, to bring to nothing things that are, that, that seem to be elevated in our culture in our day. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification. That is this process I'm in and being made right and holy, blessed with the righteousness of God. And redemption, that is God paying the price for my salvation, not me doing anything for it. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, not in your own strengths, or your own achievements, but in what God has done and how God has identified you and blessed you. Here's the next myth, myth number four, that I'm identified by my sin or the sin of others, and you are not. You are not identified by your own sin or the sin of others. Our culture would have us identify ourselves by our own urges or bents that are sinful and thus we're identified with our sexual identity or our reputation, whatever it might be, by these things. But that's not what Scripture calls you to, not what God has for you with your identity. Or perhaps you're here and you are a victim of abuse. All kinds of different stripes, verbal abuse or physical abuse or sexual abuse. And you have identified yourself because of the sinfulness of other people and what they've done to you. Listen carefully, please. That's not who you are. That is, that is not who you are, according to God and his word for your soul today. Here's another myth. I'm not identified by the expectations of others. You're not identified by what your parents want from you or your teachers want from you or your boss wants from you or your peers want from you. Though they might have high expectations and those expectations might be good, they're not true and reliable every time, those expectations for who you are. And that's not where you should place your identity, trying to meet other people's expectations for you. And if you're living for the expectations of others, you're destined for frustration and emptiness. Here's the last myth that you're defined or identified by your family of origin. You're not, in essence, at its core, defined by your family of origin. Veronica Roth and her... um, in her series of books, you know, the Allegiant series and Divergent series, um, the protagonist says at one point, I belong to the people I love, and they belong to me. They and the love and loyalty I give them form my identity more than any word or group ever could. And that sounds like a good sentiment. 
Right? That the people nearest to me, they're the ones that identify me and give me, bless me with my identity. The problem is, are you really identified by those people closest to you? Are you identified by your culture or ethnic heritage at its core? Are you more than the immediate family you came from or those people who surround you at this point in time, this season of your life, fundamentally? Regardless of how great they might be, they're still filled with sin and dysfunction and failure in their life. They will let you down. They're not the ones that identify you in your core. You're more than this, Galatians 3 tells us. That great word that Paul is writing to the church of Galatia, he says this, starting verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. If you have placed your faith in God, if you've taken that step, right, this is how a person comes to become new, to enjoy a true identity in God. It's just the ABCs, and we talk about them a lot around here because we want you to be able to describe them to people And if you've never heard them, I want you to hear it clearly. This is how a person has new, fresh, true identity in God. First, it's the A, that you just accept that you're broken, that you've sinned, you've fallen short of the glory of God, but that he's done something for you, that you accept and acknowledge that he loves you. And second, you place your trust there, no longer in yourself or what other people are saying, but you place your full confidence in what Jesus has done, that he has lived and died and risen again for you so that you might have life. And third, you might just confess it before him. You might turn from going your own direction, stop and confess your sin and brokenness to God and seek his forgiveness and follow him. It's just that simple. So Galatians is telling us that this is the new identity, that you are now marked by Jesus. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, that you put your identity there, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. That's the culture and ethnic piece right there. That's not what defines you essentially. There is neither slave nor free the place you find yourself economically or socially, that's not what identifies you. There is not even male or female, not even your sexuality identifies you fundamentally. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So what is it that identifies you fundamentally at your core? The Bible says there's a place to start. And there's a reason behind the place you start here. But the place we start is to say this, that I'm defined by my maker, the one who has created me and continues to sustain me, the one who knew me from conception, who shaped me and formed me before I even had a thought, and whose thoughts of me even today far exceed the sand on the seashore. Psalm 139 encourages us with this word, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know where I sit and Sit down, and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, and I lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Who is it that knows you like the God Most High who shaped you? Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Who knows you like that? So who knows your identity? 
For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God was in the middle of this process. It wasn't just random mutation. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you like you are in a wonderful way. That's what the word is saying. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. Even this day, right? God has formed this day for you and who you are. When as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sun of them. If I were to count them, there are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. God knows you through and through and is present with you. This is why he's the one that should shape our identity. That we can rely on him to define us. So how does God define you? Here's truth number one I want you to hear. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a wrecked person. Fundamentally, I'm separated from relationship, from righteousness. But God did not allow that to eternally be the case because he loved me. Because he loved you so much. And he wants to, just to pour into your identity that you are no longer to sit in your dysfunction, in your brokenness, in your depravity. But you are saved, rescued by his love that I didn't earn or you didn't earn. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3 tells us, and are justified, made right by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus by the payment he made of Jesus dying for your sin. And we're thoroughly wrecked sinners, yet unconditionally loved by God. Our brokenness and our shame, it's real. Yet through Jesus, we are redeemed by the grace of God. Isn't that good news? Hello, somebody help me out here. That's, that's really fundamentally great news of who I am. Which leads me to truth number two, that I am a beloved child of God. I'm a beloved child of God. I long, you long, every person longs for protection and security, <coughs> excuse me, security and affirmation and belonging and a future. And when I seek to meet those needs in false places, places of mistaken identity, I'm destined for disappointment. But when I realize that as a child of the Most High God, these needs are met in him. Then everything changes. Love that portion. I know many of you love this portion. Romans chapter 8, the beginning of it says, um, this actually, this portion is right in the middle of the text in Romans 8. For all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, are children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Daddy or Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That is who you are. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's such a, a powerful statement of your identity and my identity that we have to get it clear. 
I'm not beloved and adopted by God because of anything I have done, but simply because he has loved me and Donnie, and he has loved you. That's the story. I'm not lovable and deserving of God's affection, but he loves me. I'm undeserving, and it's his sweet grace. That's the story. And there's a danger to push back against that, this gift, and reject it, reject my true identity, and to seek fulfillment in lesser things that I have to, I have to wrestle with. I have to come back to this true identity I have as a child of God. Henri Nouwen has said, Over the years, I've come to realize that we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable. Then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I'm rejected or left alone or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves it again. I'm nobody. And I'm no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, and rejected and abandoned. Self-rejection, it's a great enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. Men and women, students, you're beloved. You are loved by God. That's sweet news. By the maker and creator and sustainer of the universe, you are loved by him and you are beloved. Get that into the depths of your identity and your soul. This is core to who we are. Beloved children of God and thankful for our identity and called to share that with family members, people around us. Here's the truth number three, that I'm uniquely shaped for his purpose. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about our mission, what we're about. So God has called me into this identity and it's connected to his purpose for my life that gives me meaning. And that is that he's called me into this world, surrounded by people, eight to 15 people in my life, my family members, the people that I hang out with, the people that I know. And I'm called to express the love of God to them, that I have found a new identity in Christ and I want them to share that too, for them to understand it. And that's why Dan Martin encouraged us with that word that it's about connecting the hearts of people in my group to the heart of God. That's, that's what I'm about. And I'm shaped for this purpose. Thinking about that gives us confidence because we know that those people can experience the love of God through us as God's spirit pours out of us. That's what he's made us for. It's core to who we are. Our mission is connected to our identity. And here's a fourth truth. I just want you to be encouraged by. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, if you have your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2. And of course, the Bible is filled with all kinds of word pictures that help me with my identity. And here are two really interesting ones. That I am a living stone, that is a living temple where God resides, and a chosen and precious place where he would reside, his spirit would reside in me as a follower of him. 
and a holy priest. That's a really interesting picture, isn't it? A holy priest. A person called out to be righteous and to connect other people around me to God. So here are the words from 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, as you come into relationship with God and find your new identity in him, that is Jesus. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. That is God is shaping you into a place where he can reside and people can see the presence of God in your life. To be a holy priesthood, a person who connects other people to the righteousness of God and the goodness of God, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, for whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. They don't know their true identity. They don't have it in Christ, and so they stumble along, and they They experience wounding and hurt because their identity is not known. But yours is not that. Yours is to know who you are, your true identity in him, in Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, verse 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Your identity is connected to your mission and who you are. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are a recipient of God's grace to live like you truly are. Called out for him and for his purposes. And those word pictures, they're they're powerful, aren't they? They're affirming to you and encouraging for us. Really? You're really called to be a holy priest? Yes, you are. That's who you are as a follower of Jesus. Therefore, my identity calls me to a different kind of living. And there's some implications, and I just want to go over quickly some implications about that. Here's the first implication. If it's true that you are no longer this identified as a sinner, but a person who is God has given grace to, then I will seek to treat my family with grace just as God has given me grace. The implication is that since God has changed my identity and given me his grace, that I have a role in my family to be a giver of grace. So let me give you just one point of application with that. Let me ask a question. What family member in your circle right now most needs grace? This week, be a giver of grace to them, of the unmerited Love and forgiveness that God has given you, pour that out on them. Pour that out on them. Implication number two, I will seek to model a child's faith in my heavenly father to my family. To model a childlike faith to other people in my family group that need to see a step of trust and faith in God. So let me ask, what what step of faith have you been Um, resisting in your life. 
intellectualizing, no, I don't need to do that. But if it's true that you are a child of God, that's the core part of your identity. And as a child, to trust him, just to place your confidence like a little kid would in their father. If that's true, then what step of faith is he calling you to model for the people in your family system that need to see that, that need to experience that kind of childlike faith? Implication number three, I was to seek to fill my role in God's purpose and to help my family know their mission. I loved how Dan spoke of this last week, that I need to help family members, people around me, answer the question, what's my mission? And we'll continue to try to be very clear about this at Bridges this year, but your mission is to reach your world, right? For, to make disciples of every ethnos, every people group, other people to follow Jesus with their whole heart. And God has placed you, people around you, 8 to 15 people around you, to influence family members, people he's directed into your life at this season of your life to influence. So, how do you want to influence them this week? One of the strongest ways you can influence them is by being a person who gets your identity. You have clarity with that and know that you're beloved by God and rescued by him, and you can help other people understand how precious and good that is, that they're not identified by their successes or their failures or the expectations of others. You're not even identified by your culture, but something far greater, the love of your maker, the gift of identity of the one who's created you. And last implication, that I will seek to walk well with God and invite others in my family along, that you are a holy priest. And as such, you want to influence other people in your life to walk well with God. And that's God's expectation for you this week, to invite them along, not to hammer them over the head or to force them, compel them, because you can't compel another person. That's God's work. Your work is to live out the grace and mercy of God with the people in your family system. True confession, I don't do that well, as well as I need to. So let's pray that we grow in that. And here's one step I want to encourage you with, an application point that you take one family member aside this week and you have an honest time of prayer with them that's rich and it's deep. That you just get honest in your conversation with God with them so that they might see into you. Your identity might be lived out in them and you might connect them to the heart of God. It's a lot to think about, isn't it? Um, But here's what I want you to walk away with that you're not how other people are identifying you. You are how God has identified you. You're his beloved. What a wonderful gift. So let's live like it, and let's, let's pour out that into the people that God has placed in our life, our family. Let me pray for you, if I might, please. Father, I thank you for um, the good word of encouragement this morning. I thank you that you have identified all of us, regardless of our culture or ethnicity, regardless of other achievements or failures in our life or our sin or the way that people have sinned against us, that you have called us, called us out to be children of God, your beloved, to be right and 
healthy and whole with you and to live for you. You've called us into mission, people that influence others to follow Jesus and have an eternal impact in our world. You, Lord, because of your dear grace, have marked us to be people of love and influence. And I pray you would pour out that blessing and confidence in the souls of these people gathered here today for your glory and your honor. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.